0: Let's imagine the Buddha in the space in front, the refuge field, however simple or uh, complex you'd like to make it. And then we surround ourselves by all sentient beings. So you can focus on your breath for a few minutes and settle into the place you're at. And then I'll set a motivation and then we'll begin. Shantideva writes in the first chapter of A Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life in verse 5 and 6, Just as a flash of lightning on a dark, cloudy night, for an instant brightly illuminates all, likewise in this world, through the might of Buddha, a wholesome thought rarely and briefly appears— Hence, virtue is perpetually feeble, the great strength of immorality being extremely intense. And except for a fully awakened mind, by what other virtue will it be overcome? His Holiness the Dalai Lama writes, Because of our past karma, it is very rare and difficult to have a positive mind while it is all too easy to have negative thoughts, since this is what we have been used to. So we should nurture positive thoughts. It is only with patience that we can maintain a virtuous mind. And pure conduct when others try to harm us out of greed, hatred, and ignorance. So let's take this opportunity to deepen our understanding of how our anger arises in our minds, learn the remedies to quell our anger, and nurture our positive thoughts so that we can progress on the path, developing bodhicitta and wisdom to attain full awakening. So, good morning, everyone. So, Vinopad Chodron has been teaching on this text, A Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life, and it's by the 8th century Buddhist master, Shantideva. And while she's traveling in Asia, community members have been reviewing Chapter 6, which is on patience or fortitude. So, this Chapter 6 is a chapter on understanding and learning how to bring the mind back into a positive frame and not succumb to anger. So I'm using the translation um, from the Library of Tibetan Works and Archives by Stephen Batchelor. There's many different translations, but this is the one that I uh, like. I also used commentaries by His Holiness the Dalai Lama and Geshe Sopa and of course Venable Children as resources for this review. So Shantideva composed this text in the form of inner dialogue, really a manual to train in the six paramitas or far-reaching attitudes. So these are states of mind that lead the way to liberation and enlightenment. And the six are generosity, ethical conduct, patience or fortitude, joyous effort, concentration, and wisdom. So as we practice these over the years, these uh, states of mind are weaved together over time. And as we go about our daily life, uh, then to reach our positive goals. His Holiness also writes that patience, together with meditative concentration, make up the key aspects of the training in bodhicitta. And as we've heard many times in many teachings, uh, as a destructive force, there's nothing strong as strong as anger. And of course, we're certainly aware of this just by reading the news. Uh, we see it every day. So patience is a discipline that neutralizes and prevents us from succumbing to anger. Anger destroys merit and creates much negative karma. There's a famous story from the sutras illustrating how relationships change over lifetimes due to the negative karma created. It is the story of how Shariputra, one of Buddha's foremost disciples, saw a family sitting down to dinner. The father of the family had his baby son sitting on his knee and was eating a fish he had caught in a pond behind the house. When he finished, the family dog got hold of the bones and was trying to eat them when the father noticed and began beating the dog. With his supernatural knowledge, Shariputra could see the previous lives of all these beings and he explained the scene in this way. In the past, the father had discovered his wife cheating with their neighbor and had killed the neighbor. The father's parents were deceased, but when they had been alive, his father had loved fishing in the backyard pond, and his mother had been extremely attached to the family and home. When Shariputra saw What Shariputra saw and explained to his disciples was that the dead neighbor, who had been the man's worst enemy— had been reborn as the man's son, and was sitting on his knee. The man's father had been reborn as a fish, which he had just caught and eaten. The man's mother was so attached to the family, had been reborn as the family dog, and having grabbed the fish bones was now gnawing on her former husband. When the man beat the dog for taking the fish, he was beating his own mother." So it's kind of shocking, maybe. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But we can see how, um, boy, our actions follow us lifetime after lifetime. Mm -hmm. The Tantra requested by Sabuhu says, In a short span of time, an enemy becomes a friend and a friend becomes an enemy. Likewise, some become neutral, while those who were neutral become enemies or close friends. Knowing this, the wise never become attached. So once again, we see the afflictions of attachment and anger binding us to samsara. So I thought to give a little background about the far-reaching attitude of uh, patience or fortitude for those of you who may not been following these teachings. So there are three types of patience. The first is being able to ignore the harm caused by others, so voluntarily enduring suffering. Buddha defined this patience as a mind that can accept any suffering and not be disheartened by them. Such a mind is called the patience accepting suffering. So the point of of this is that even if you have to suffer, you don't have to become disheartened. So what are some phrases that we use to communicate our feelings of being disheartened? What does that sound like? I think we all kind of fall into that at times. If you participate, this will be so much more enjoyable. Yes, discouraged, thank you. Pardon? Bummed out, yep. Yep. Say? Overwhelmed, yep. Apathetic. Apathetic, yep. I can't stand it anymore, I give up, it's too hard, yep. So, this di- disheartened, pardon? Why me? Why me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the good one, isn't it? <laughs> it's not fair. Why me? Yeah, yeah. Mm. No. So, this uh, attitude of being disheartened is really powerful and really detrimental to our practice. Um, and from a Buddhist point of view, not only can we accept suffering, but further not be disheartened by it, even welcoming it. And so there's a lot of teachings and trainings that we can practice that we can actually welcome and take these difficulties onto the path. So what are some examples where you accepted the suffering you were experiencing
1: a little bit about why you accepted it. Anybody want to share something? One thing that's helped my mind is to say to myself, "Accept the unacceptable." Mm. Yeah. Because yeah, I I'm not accepting something, and maybe I think it is unacceptable, but I have to accept everything. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: That's a good one. That's a good example of just a little pithy,
0: short sentence that really can turn our mind. And there's a lot of those in Buddhism that we can grab and use. Very helpful. Anybody else? Yep. Well, I wonder if Marshall Rosenberg was a bodhisattva.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I appreciate what he offers with uh, nonviolent communication. So when someone is um, not doing what I'd like them to do, I try to remember to think, this person is trying to tell me something about what they're needing Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're, you know, try to put myself in their shoes or they must be overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, something's going on for them. It's not, I don't have to take it personally. Yep.
0: yep. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. And if we don't accept um, what's going on, um, the suffering that's going on, what happens with our mind? What What is that experience like? Mm-hmm.
2: I think in certain situations, our suffering can be even stronger than Mm -hmm. the suffering that we're witnessing, and then that blocks our compassion, Mm -hmm. and we become self-centered, and yeah, it just heats up. An example from my life is that there are many occasions when my parents were in the last years of their life where I simply couldn't accept it, and it was unbearable, and I, I couldn't be open to actually
0: what was going on in the moment, which was something to participate in. Yep yep yeah yeah that's really a good example. It reminds me of the story that the Buddha talked about where I think it was I don't know if it was a Buddha but somebody uh, <laughs> talked about i don't want I don't want to say something that isn't accurate, but um, it's a story about uh when you're suffering it's like you've just endured an arrow coming at you, and then was it the Buddha thank you and then when you don't accept that or, you know, you're so, uh, you know, upset about it then uh, and not accepting it at all, then you're giving yourself another arrow. So then the pain is double. And if we look in our own experience, we will see that that is true. And it amazes me the capacity we have to uh, tolerate not only the first but second arrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's scary, actually. (laughs) Mm. So patience or fortitude protects us from anger and hatred. And this is why patience and not love and compassion is the direct antidote to anger. That's important to remember because often we think, you know, if I just, if I'm angry, well, I just need to turn my mind to love and compassion, but... That's really hard to do if you don't first generate this fortitude, so it's the fortitude that opens the gate to all of that to me um, and that's uh i don't at least with my mind that's not so much of how I think about it until you know I started studying this and practicing it. So the second um, uh, type of patience is the ability to endure mental hardship or suffering in the course of what we are doing. And this is the patient that uses patience that uses dharma. A mind in the nature of patience is able to discriminate the dharma points to use against negative emotions. With patience, one can discern which positive method works to counter different afflictions. And this will help us to bear anything. And then the third one is patience that remains indifferent to the harm inflicted by others. And this is the patience where we do not retaliate. Negative emotions will arise if we, have, if we are being harmed, but we, can af- but we can influence the effect they will have. So we work to see the effect does not last. So our mind gets afflicted if we are being harmed by others through, you know, whatever means. And we might initially react with anger, but our work in that moment is internal. It's with ourselves. And how many times when somebody says something that, you know, we have a reaction of frustration or anger or judgment or whatever it is, and we put all our attention outward on the other one. And we know how that goes. Not so well. We get miserable. They're miserable. It's miserable. Very messy. But if we can train ourselves to just focus our attention on what it feels like when anger, irritation, frustration starts to arise in the body and mind, then we can work internally and we can develop and increase our fortitude and then uh, uh, protect ourselves from uh, negative karma created. Yeah. So we try to apply the antidotes as soon as possible. You know, we can't stop hatred by fighting with anger. You cannot force yourself to not be angry. That doesn't work. So we have to work with it directly. We have to kind of lean into it, acknowledge it, accept it, and then start learning what is it that's going to tame it. And everybody is so different, so we have to go into the laboratory and try something and see if that works or not. Sometimes it doesn't, so then we know, okay, I need to look for a different one. And of course there are bazillions of them that the Buddha taught, and so we just have to keep finding until we find the ones that start resonating with our own mind and the way it works. And then, now we are released from the misery of you know all of that. Now with this third um, type of uh, fortitude, there is a more subtle level, And this is the fortitude that contemplates the ultimate nature of reality. So patience is accepting whatever happens because we understand the nature of the situation and its causes. So this third kind of patience is being able to learn, analyze, and understand the subject, object, and the action of someone harming us from the perspective of ultimate truth. It involves seeing that there is no real Uh, ultimate enemy. There is simply a combination of causes and conditions. And this is much uh, what Venerable Losong talked about uh, the last review that was done. And so we can work with this in terms of thinking about the agent, action, and object are, are like an illusory phenomena. So if we can keep our mind clear about what is actually going on in the moment, that there isn't anything solid and fixed, then our mind won't drop into so much anger, so much frustration, so much irritation. That's hard to do. I think sometimes the first step of that is to start training ourselves to recognize when our perspective gets very narrow. If I get triggered by something someone says, I can just watch how my perspective goes very narrow, and it's all about what that person is doing to me, then immediately follows is, you know, more anger and, you know, uh, afflicted mind street. So if I can identify when that perspective starts to narrow and open it back up, then I can use my mind to start seeing all of the causes and conditions that created this particular thing. And I can remind myself that everything that is happening to me has a cause from my past actions. If somebody is yelling at me, it's because in past, who knows when, well, I know sometimes this life I've done that, I yell at people. So then it comes back around, and then I get it. And so if I can remind myself of that, then there's no basis for anger. It's like, well, of course, you know, why would I think it would be any different? And of course, understanding uh, emptiness then, um, it makes the uneasiness and fear go away because we see there's no real enemy trying to cause us absolute harm. There's really nothing to be angry about. And so this kind of patience, knowing the emptiness of things, is a deeper and more subtle form of patience. Patience. It's the antidote to our usual incorrect perception of things as truly real. Each, t- each of these types of patience has an opposite. So the opposite of the first type, type of patience, uh, ignore harm caused by others, is hatred. If we do not have the first type of patience, our anger in regard to those we consider enemies will increase. And the second type of patience, the opposite of accepting hardship in pursuit of our goal, is hatred combined with discouragement. And so in that one, we're deterred from doing anything because of difficulties. It's too hard. Can't do it. And the opposite of the third type of patience is a dislike or lack of desire to do things. When we lack the wisdom that realizes the true nature of reality, we don't want to engage in difficult activities. So all of these have a flavor of, um, you know, so much self-centered thought, and it's all too hard for me, I can't do it, you know, so discouragement... Um, So in this context, anger, discouragement, and dislike are all referred to as impatience. So that's just a very, very, very quick little uh, uh, information about uh, patience or fortitude. And so uh, last time uh, Venerable Losong finished verse 35, And in this section, we're on uh, uh, about—the section is about overcoming the wish to retaliate. So now we're on uh, verse 35. Through not being careful, people even harm themselves with thorns and other things. And for the sake of obtaining women and the like, they become obsessed and deprive themselves of food. So without analyzing, without understanding, and through not being careful, some people harm themselves. This even happens in spiritual paths. People have examples of uh, spiritual paths that promote this type of harm. Any ideas that come to mind in the modern time? Walking on fire, yep. Mm-hmm. Sometimes cults like the Jim Jones thing where everybody started drinking poison so that they could get to oh, I don't know where heaven or something. Yeah.
2: There's been um stories and like the media about how people are sort of um well they believe there's like these entities inside of people and they subject them to all these kinds of really harsh treatments and Hard labor and deprivation, um, sensory deprivation, in order to get the beings to leave.
3: Mm.
2: And somebody died
3: because mm. they were just
0: mistreating mm. them. So, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think, even in, you know, mm, many people, even some of us here, thinking that if we push the body to its extreme, that somehow we'll find some happiness. Mm. And then, of course, you know, the desire for riches, um, even suffer hunger to obtain them, and then, of course, doing so uh, creates so much negative karma, which, of course, will be the cause of future great suffering in the future. Mm. And then 36 and there are some who injure themselves through the unmeritorious deeds of hanging themselves leaping from cliffs eating poison and unhealthy food so what fuels this these types of actions what's underneath these kinds of actions where people destroy themselves pardon self-centeredness yeah pardon Wrong views, yeah. Depression, yeah. Deep confusion, Deep confusion. yeah. Craving for, happiness. Craving for happiness, yeah, yeah, yeah. What came to my mind was just dissatisfaction. When we are dissatisfied, we will do almost anything. And we can see that. you know, some people see things they don't like happening all around them all the time, And if they have no control over themselves, they submit themselves completely to the torture of emotional pain. And Where does that end? Well, they continue to suffer and they say, "I cannot bear it. I cannot bear it." And then until finally, they commit suicide. Some people even go beyond that. They think that they need to register their unhappiness with the world. And so then they have the plan to start killing others and then themselves. We've seen that happen a lot. So this idea that we can't get exactly what we want and then where that leads us is really important to think about because we can't get what we want. We really can't. We have no control. We think we do, and we do maybe for a minute, but then it's gone, and then we're going on to the next thing. So like Vinobocioni said, this thing about desire and craving, never enough, always wanting more. So Buddha's biggest gift is teaching us to be satisfied with what we have. And satisfaction is one of the best gifts we can give to ourselves. And oftentimes when, especially here, there are things that um, we're not to do, shouldn't do, there's some rules about not doing— And if we don't think about it very much, you know, we just push against that and like, it's too tight here, and what are these rules, and they're dumb, and blah, blah, blah. But all of these are training us to be satisfied with what we have. And if we don't remember that, then we miss the experience of practicing being satisfied for what what we have, for what's in front of us. And if we keep practicing that over time, then that is going to influence when we are in a suffering state. Our capacity to tolerate is going to be greater. Then 37. If, when under the influence of disturbing conceptions, people will even kill their treasured self, how can they be expected not to cause harm to the bodies of other living beings? So what are they what is Shantideva referring to when he says disturbing conceptions? If, when under the influence of disturbing conceptions, people will even kill their treasured selves? how can they be expected not to cause harm to the bodies of other living beings blah, 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 and we tell just all the stories we tell ourselves yeah based on almost nothing yeah, based on almost nothing. yeah. she walked in the room mm-hmm. yeah 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 and then our mind proliferates with the story yeah yeah So this one reminds me of, and it's really, uh, I think, important to think about, if we are totally unaware of the causes of happiness, then it's so easy to fall into thinking, if I destroy the body, my misery will cease. And when we think like that, we have no understanding of the power of the mind. No understanding of the power of the mind. Our experience in this existence, in these kinds of bodies, is that these bodies suffer. These bodies have pain. I don't care what you do, how you do it, when you do it, you are going to have these experiences. We do not want to hear that. And the younger we are, the more we don't want to hear that.
1: Hmm?
0: So how do we work with that? Well, we look at the mind, the power of the mind. We develop the power of the mind. If we can develop the power of our mind, we can tolerate anything that the body throws at us. But not only do we not believe that, we forget that all the time, and we let the body run the show. Mm. It's all-consuming. True or not true? Well?
1: No.
0: Of course, you know, there needs to be some balance to all of this without a doubt. But just this idea that if I get this body comfortable, then I'm gonna be okay and then I can blah blah blah. That is a dead end road. How long of a stretch have you had when the body was fine and everything was hunky dory and everything was good? What's the longest amount of time? Years? No maybe months, maybe, if you're young, I don't know, maybe. I'll just tell you, as you get older and older, that time (laughs) shrinks (laughs) and shrinks (laughs) and shrinks. shrinks (laughs). So what are you going to do then when it starts shrinking? And then what is more is that the body is uh, complaining and paining and not functioning the way that you think it should. What do you do with that? People that have no idea about the power of the mind can get so despondent about that that they kill themselves. So we don't want to go down that road because that will not stop the misery. Next life, that will be part of what our experience is, that that action. So how can we work with what is going on? It's kind of the same thing as in the the last um, uh, verse, this thing about um, uh, being satisfied. So every day I wake up and I'm satisfied. I try try to train myself to be satisfied with whatever my body is doing. Of course, you know, we use some wisdom here. If there's something I can do to make it better, I do that. I use remedies. I use this and that, da-da-da. But bottom line, I have accepted that it's going to be talking, chattering, screaming at me more than not. That is the nature of this decaying sack of goo that my mind is inhabiting at this point. That's what is. So what is your mind doing
1: with what I'm saying? What, how are you taking this in? I'm remembering one of the... One of the bigger lessons I learned when I worked in physical therapy, and I wasn't used to working in the hospital very much, I worked in outpatient. So I covered on the weekends a lot for some years. And one time there was... So I wasn't so comfortable, you know. But, you know, you follow what the plan has been for the person and modify it if you need to. So I go into a room and there's this very frail, small thin lady with tattoos all over where they're about ready to, you know, surgical tattoos, you know, like they're going to cut here and cut there and all this stuff. And I was like, I have to get her out of bed. I was like, I'm going to get her out of bed, and I'm going to try to get her just to stand and then sit in this chair. I was like, I don't think so, (laughs) you know. And I, I asked her, you know, like, you know, I told her what the plan was, and she said, she just said to me, oh, I can try. She had this, it was just so amazing to me, you know, it's like she had no idea what she could do probably either, and she said, oh, I can try, and it had this kind of ease to it, and just, you know, like this, I don't know if I want to say optimism, but there was something there that was so positive about how to deal with your body when it's like out of commission. Yeah,
0: yeah. acceptance. It's really acceptance, yeah. Yeah that we accept the reality of what is in the moment. And how often during the day do we fight against that in so many ways? And we're just creating misery for ourselves. That is not the cause of happiness. Mm -hmm. So there's really so many layers to this that we can work with And so maybe the easiest way to think about working with this is whenever my peace of mind is disturbed, look for what the affliction is. How am I thinking? What's going on? How can I turn that? And then that becomes a compassion practice. I do not deserve to have this misery even when it's self-created. And see, that's the power of the mind, isn't it? That's where the answer lies. That's always where the answer lies. And we are so conditioned to look at it the opposite way. If I can get the body in a certain state, in a certain this or certain that, look a certain way, da-da-da, then I'm going to be happy. That's how we're conditioned. That's what the media feeds us. You know, and even if, you know, we think that that's baloney, it's still in there. It's still in there. This fundamental idea that if I can just get the body in the right place, the right, you know, situation, then the road is open. Now I can become happy. It's the opposite. It's I find the happiness in my mind, and then the body responds to that. Just like Venable Tarpa was saying, this idea about accepting what is and where I am is so powerful. If we accept where we are, then our mind is open to find a way to be with whatever is happening moment to moment to moment to moment, moment, because it's changing continually, moment moment to moment to moment to moment. So if we have the heart to hurt ourselves, then we're bound to have the heart to hurt others too. So we have to think about what, that, that, what does that mean? How am I hurting myself? Often it's by not accepting the reality of what is in the moment. And how many times when the body is not cooperating and, you know, paining or whatever it's doing, and how many times does our mind fall into the, this is never going to change, it's the worst, there's another recipe for uh, destroying ourselves, you know, it's never going to be any different. How many people fall into that one? Yeah. 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 So when we think that, that's like the danger sign going off. We have to pay attention to that. So we have to develop this introspective awareness, this spy in the mind that recognizes when we are thinking in a way that is dangerous to ourselves. That kind of thinking is dangerous to ourselves. And, you know, we may sit here, you know, and think, oh, I would never do any of those things. I would never destroy myself. It does not take much to turn the mind to that through faulty thinking. It does not take much. And so that's not to freak you out. It's just to, again, use the power of the mind, the power of the mind, if we can transform ourselves, purify our body and mind to the point where we become a Buddha, we certainly can learn how to turn dangerous thoughts that don't serve us and serve our well being.
4: Yeah, I think I'm mostly wondering how to do that genuinely and not imposing me to accept things. Or, and another, another thought that comes into my mind is um so recently i've been having like two two little things that seem to go wrong like with my body with my toe or whatever it's very small mm-hmm. but i notice that my mind goes there very often and I'm like all the time when i see it I'm like checking is it getting worse do i need to do something here or and it's just so stupid i cannot mm. cannot break mm. my mind to, like to stop thinking about it or to stop praying or to to yeah yeah i don't know yeah. if that.
0: Yeah, so I think worrying about it and obsessing about it is not really accepting. So the first level of this to me is that, again, opening the perspective. Oh, body. What do I know about bodies? There's going to be pain. There's going to be change. There's going to be maladies. There's going to be sickness. There's going to be things that arise. That's the acceptance level. And at first, that's hard because that reminds us of, well, what's going to come, death. So we don't want to go there, especially the younger we are, the more it's that's so far away, you know. This is just a toe thing. If I obsess about it, then maybe something, I don't know, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Yeah. But so instead, it's just accept the whole package. Of course there's going to be something. How many people have toe pain today? Anybody? Yeah? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you're not alone, number one. (laughs) We'll be the toe group. (laughs) But just to accept that, well, I don't have to freak out about this. This is the nature of this. So then, okay, if I accept it, what does that mean? What do I do with that then? Oh, this is an opportunity. What is it an opportunity for? It's an opportunity to help me start preparing my mind for the final disillusion of the body, that it's going to die. So if I can start accepting the toe pain, I'll do all the things that one can do to mitigate the toe pain, of course, you know. But I always keep the bigger view of, yeah, this is just the deterioration of this body, of this gist house, the mind is in this particular guest house. This particular guest house is functioning the way it does because of past actions in past lives. No judgment about that. No punishment stuff, none of that. It's just cause and effect. So the mind that was in the bodies in the past did some interesting things that bring about what's going on in this life with this body. Okay. So now what? Well, that's going to continue until I drop dead. That's what I know. So what do I do with that? I accept it and I take care of myself as best I can. But... I don't delude myself into thinking, if I can just get this toe pain done, then I'll live forever? What? No. You know? So we put it in the context, put it in the context of what's going on here. In a gentle way. In a gentle way. And that takes repetition, that takes compassion, um, it takes reminding ourselves of this bigger view mm-hmm. yeah that's how I do it anyhow, yeah mm-hmm. did you have another question with that? Was there two? no, i'm forgetting already actually, throughout this, I keep thinking of the the factor of inappropriate attention, oh yeah, yeah, and how yeah. how we exaggerate yeah. everything, yeah. You know,
2: as soon as soon as any feeling arises, it, that's where the stories start. Oh, the exaggeration gets bigger
4: and bigger and bigger and yeah, bigger yeah. and bigger.
0: Yeah. So somehow yeah. to just kind of bring that into yes. arresting. Yes. Or checking. Yeah, that's really a good. And where did that come from? That came from all the media that we've consumed. When you turn on anything, it is all focused on the body and what the body looks like, and what the body can look like, and what the body should look like, and how you just pay the money to get what you need for the body. So it's all that. It's all that. And we all absorb that. Even if, you know, I don't know, when you, I don't know if people watch TV anymore, but when we used to, we'd we'd mute the the, uh, advertisements, the commercials. But you would find yourself still looking at it (laughs) and you knew exactly what they were saying and so you were still absorbing it, you know? So, but yeah, inappropriate attention. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, So
5: these past few months, uh, I've been bringing up these, um, uh, at least the first three of the five remembrances in every of my uh, uh, sessions The first one is, I am of the nature to die. Mm -hmm. I haven't gone beyond death. I am of the nature to sicken. I haven't gone beyond sickness. Mm -hmm. I'm of the nature to age. I haven't gone beyond aging. That is one thing. The second thing is I have to bring into mind this. I have no control over my body when illness or death strikes. To see the selflessness as mm-hmm. not self of that part. And I also bring the impermanent things like pain. To pain comes and goes. So you see impermanent right there. Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, the pain is not permanent. It's not always there.
0: Yeah.
5: So, and then suffering is, you say, oh... Oh, and now I, 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 I'm aware that I have pain. But then if the, you, you don't accept that pain and you try to, get, to have aversion to that, that means this is the second arrow and you suffer mm-hmm. a lot more yeah. and the pain is more worse because of that. So you can see the three characteristics in just the pain and it's a wonderful direct experience it's yep. not a conceptual perception mm-hmm. yeah so mm-hmm. i mean i mean practicing that yeah 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 thank you i think
2: one of the uh, two things come to mind in terms of how people harm how we harm ourselves these days and uh, one is how people are uh, exaggerating the external how we look and so mm. many people doing unnecessary surgeries and unnecessary dental treatments mm. to um, beautify themselves yeah. above and beyond. Yeah. I saw an interview with a young man who had already had three or four surgeries uh, to make himself more attractive, and it just made my heart hurt. Mm-hmm. Here's this 20, 21-year-old man yeah. who's already gone undergone yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and of course, I, I guess we all do this to different degrees, and some people take it to ex- extraordinary um, degrees. The other thing is, if you think about the epidemic of uh, drug use in this country yeah. and beyond, um, it, it comes back to this dissatisfaction and yeah. thinking there should be satisfaction now. Yeah. And since yeah. there's not, I'm going to numb out. Yeah. Um, so it, it's yeah. like a snowball. It, all these yeah. things are, um, and, and also you know, maybe tied into that is this huge epidemic of um, addiction to pornography that's going on mm. in our country and around mm. the world. Again, people mm. looking for some kind of happiness that cannot possibly satisfy them yep. and how much detriment yep. it brings to their lives. Yep. So unless we begin to look at the reality of our situation, and the four foundations of mindfulness are so helpful with this very thing, um, but most people don't have access to teachings like this that are going to bring their mind back to a more wholesome way of working with this five aggregate combination.
0: Yep, yep, yeah, yeah, well said, yeah, yep, yep, yeah. So just the idea of Mm. wherever we are, to think about where we allow our mind to go and where we are looking for our happiness. And any time we're looking outside of it, outside of ourselves, then that is going to be very disappointing and not satisfying. But sometimes we have to do that over and over again to get that through our thick, ignorant skulls because we have such deep habits. And that's then where compassion has to come in. So, mm, this idea about, you know, there are many teachings on all of these topics that we're talking about today. And the first thing is for us to make some discernment about what our mind can handle and hold right now. If I Read something or get a teaching, and I, you know, try it out a little bit, and my mind goes bonkers. It's too much. I accept that it's too much. Step back. What can I do that will be comfortable enough, but still um, help me train to tr- to transform? So a lot of what this is about is to figure out kind of where you are. And that is so unusual for us, because we are conditioned to never look where we are, but to look at where you are, where the other one is, what they're doing. And so the first order of business is to bring our attention inward. But then that's really difficult, because when we bring our attention inward, we start to see the mess And then, if we don't have support, have a teacher, have some awareness, some mm, enough information to know that all of this can be transformed, then we get despondent or discouraged, or maybe we just walk away. So to figure out kind of where you are in terms of what you can work with, what you can tolerate, where your mind is. And so that's why it's so important to have a teacher to help us because, I don't know about you, but on my own, I would, I would get so lost so quickly. So teacher, very helpful, very important. But then, you know, even a teacher cannot bring me the compassion that is called for, for me to talk to myself in a way that I can go forward instead of feeling terrible, the worst of the worst, and then just feeding the self-centered attitude. That's all that is, you know? So um, this is a path that takes time and And a lot of support so that we can keep on the right path for us. Each one is so different, you know. The way that I've maneuvered through the path is different than anyone else here. And that's true for all of you. And it's all good. They're all, you know, it's fine. But the work is to figure out what's going to move me forward. And if I don't know that, then I ask my teacher to help me with that. Hmm. So that's the other thing. We don't have to do this alone, which is really beneficial. There are people that have done this longer, that know more, they can help us. And that's so good. And to not forget that the that the most valuable, the most valuable thing that we possess is our mind. It is the most powerful. If you work with your mind and transform your mind, you can tolerate, you can do anything. And we there's stories about that, you know, the monk that was uh, from Tibet that was in uh, uh, the communist prison after the takeover of Tibet, and he was uh, every day, every day, every day he was beaten, he was abused, he was starved, um, and finally he escaped, and he went over the mountains and then went to dharamsala and he had a meeting with his holiness and they were talking and uh he was crying and his holiness said what was the hardest thing and he said i was afraid i was going to lose my compassion for my uh for the captors for the the prison guards that's what he said what kind of mind is that huh? just a normal person, and this is what he worked with. This is what he did with his mind in the face of all of that suffering. A human, just like you, just like me. Now, we haven't had that kind of extreme experience. So when my body is not cooperating, how can I work with my mind? so that it doesn't consume all my moments and get me into a really not a good state of mind. So I know how I can do that for myself. Your task is how can you do that for yourself? And you have the answer inside of you if you look. If you look. And if you have the patience to look. That's all it takes. Mm-hmm. So not forgetting the power of the mind, it is so important. And again, you know, whoever is harming us, they can be an object of compassion. Why? Because they are totally controlled by ignorance. And how can I um, resonate with that? Because I have harmed... And when I have harmed, if people around me show compassion, then I, it's easier for me to turn my mind. It's easier for me to accept, oh, there's my ignorance. I have not um, harnessed the wisdom that uh, avoids harming others yet. I will continue to do that. That doesn't mean I'm a failure. It doesn't mean I'm bad. It doesn't mean I need to be punished. It just means that I am an ordinary person who is practicing this extraordinary path. And as I do that more and more, I will get more skillful. That's all. And that's true for everybody else here. So to me, that's the basis of the compassion. You know, we're all the same. We all want happiness. No one wants to suffer. How we try to get our happiness, what is that based on? All the causes and conditions that have happened in this life up till this moment. That's messy. There's nothing linear about that. That's very messy. But we can dig through that mess and figure out what's going to work and propel us forward. We can do that. Okay, verse 38. Even if I cannot develop compassion for all such people who through the arisal of disturbing conceptions set out to try and kill me and so forth, the last thing I should do is become angry with them. Why is Shanti Davis saying the last thing I should do is to become angry with them, those that are trying to harm me. It just creates more harm and suffering for yourself and for them. Yeah, it's not a solution yeah. option. okay. yeah, what else? There's some more to this. What else? Um, it also goes against the main um, goal uh, that his Holiness uh,
3: constantly repeats, which is developing a good heart. And you know, developing, becoming angry goes right against that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So we're not following our values if we let anger arise and manifest in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if anger is directed at at us, why is that? Say. Because we've created the cause for that to happen. Yep, we've created the cause for that to happen, yeah. Now, this is a tricky one, especially if you've been raised in Christian society, because it's really easy for the mind to go into punishment, you know, and sin, and I'm the bad one, and, you know, da-da-da. So we have to be careful with that. So we have to have a big mind when we think about this. If somebody is directing their anger toward me, it's because I created the causes for that, then I work with my mind by saying, okay, everything is a dependent arising, dependent on causes and conditions. Now, maybe I never was angry at this person in this life, but in some life I was. Or the conditions are such that it wasn't even a one-to-one thing like that, but I have been directed, directing my anger to others. So then, you know, the will of sharp weapons comes back around, and now I'm getting it. Just that. So then what do you do with that? Instead of feeling like I'm the worst one or I'm a sinner or all of that stuff, no. It's like, oh, okay, so that karma of the past, of me being angry with somebody else, now ripened and now is finished, done. I don't have to experience that suffering result again of that particular action. Good, good. So again, it's this thing about whatever happens to us, we keep trying to bring it onto the path so that we can... mm, Keep our balance. You know, keep our balance. Accept what is happening in front of us. Make some Dharma sense of it and keep our balance and not get pulled into these stories that get us obsessed or ruminating for hours or days or months, <laughs> Because why? Because the power of the mind. Because we can. We can drop those things. We can practice that. We can take these situations that we have that are really difficult onto the cushion, and we can imagine doing that same scene with a Dharma mind, with a different set of tools, and then experience that in our imagination then the next time a situation that's similar happens again, our chance of doing it in a Dharma way is increased because of that, because of that practice. Because the mind doesn't really discern between me imagining doing something or actually doing something. The power is still there. Mm -hmm. The individual under the influence of negative emotions is totally helpless. Do we believe that? When somebody's screaming at you, do you think, oh, you're totally helpless? (laughs) (laughs) If we thought that, and not in a pejorative way, but in a, oh, gosh, you know, you are suffering in that way. In that way. How would that turn things? I can
4: sometimes do that when it's mild. Yeah, when it's mild. Not full-on screaming, yeah. perhaps. Yep. But, and, if, yep. and if it's happened before where I've had some time to yep. think about it and then it yep. happens again with the same person, then yep. I have more ability to hold the space yep. and understand, like, bring understanding into it in terms of, a button's being pushed, or this is yep. their stuff, yep. and they're in pain, yep. and I don't. It's not about me. Yep. Um, yep. That helps a lot in yep. terms of the aversion isn't so strong because yep. my eye isn't so big. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. And then there's more space to just shut up, yep. or. Um, Exit gracefully.
0: Yeah, yeah, very good, yeah. So I may be part of a condition that that's happening then, but it is not my story and my deal, yeah, to really
4: keep hold of that. I think the understanding from both sides of like, uh, you know, what Venable talks about, the refractory period. mm mm-hmm they can't hear anything right now there's no sense in trying to say anything yep Yep. um because i know when i'm afflicted uh i can only see what i'm seeing there's not much room for alternative views yeah yeah Yeah,
0: and of course, you know, physiologically, this is how we're hardwired, you know, so if we feel threatened, and that's often why we react with anger, underneath anger, much of the time is fear, and so if we're fear-based, you know, then that sets up the adrenaline pump going, and then, you know, it's our, you know, reptile brain that's doing all of the action, there's no higher functioning, just like you said, so we want to fight, or or flee, or we're paralyzed. Those are the three options that we have. And, um, you know, we do one of those, and it doesn't work very well. And it's way, way, the volume is turned way up because the situation does not warrant fighting to the death, running away to the death, or, or, um, Uh, you know, paralyzed in fright, hoping that the enemy doesn't see us. That's not the response that is warranted. So the fix for that is here. It's in me. It isn't that the other person should quit doing these things, quit triggering me. It's me. So how do you start working with that by observing what the body feels like when you get triggered, when you get reactive. What happens? That's really good information because if I know what happens when I get activated that way and train myself to observe that, to lean into that, to get really familiar with that, then... I can start transforming it, turning it. And just the observing like that is the acceptance. That's acceptance. Of course my mind is going to get out of control. Why would I think anything different? That's where I am in my practice. Of course that's going to happen. I don't need to beat myself up about that. It's just, of course, that's what's going to happen. Okay, let me observe that for some time now. Then I'm going to get some information. So when that first starts happening, where do I feel it in my body? Me, it's in my gut. For some people, it's in their muscles, maybe. You see people start getting reactive, and you see their hands start to clench. They are not even aware of that, but that's what happens. You know? So, but if I was aware of that, I would go, oh, open those hands, take a deep breath, get some oxygen in there, and exit stage left, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And if you can and need to say something, then say, you know, Gosh, I'm really triggered right now. I cannot talk with you. I'll love to talk with you later when I'm uh, calmer. And you leave. Very simple. Then everybody knows exactly what it is no problem and it's a gift to the other person because you are you are showing them that you're working on yourself that creates trust and safety then that's a good thing
2: it sounds so simple when you say it you know to accept that this is where we are this in our practice and mm and to have that kind of acceptance that, yes, I am a, an afflicted human being, and the same is true of every other living being, just like we don't get mad at the stove when we burn ourselves because that's the nature of fire. Yeah. But it's there's a disconnect with uh, accepting that about ourselves and others in particular because somehow we're going to be letting them off the hook, you know, not holding them responsible for their actions. There's There's that area there where we want to hold people accountable for their mm. actions, and yet at the same time... We need to acknowledge this person is controlled by karma and afflictions. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So again, that's the thing about retaliation, actually, you know? So if I don't say anything to somebody that's screaming at me, are they going to have some suffering from the screaming that they've just done? Yes. Yes. So I don't have to add on to that and then add on to my pile. So you know to try to remember that but i know what you're saying of course it's you know easy to say hard to do in the moment so that's why i think the most powerful practice is to replay these experiences with others on the cushion and and actually go through the moment by moment of the experience and start turning it so that you don't react in the way that you did in real time and you react in a different way. So now you have that in your wheelhouse, you have that in your memory bank, you have that, you know, you've connected, made a connection there in the mind. And so then you do that enough and then that's what starts to come up instead of the other knee-jerk thing that we're, you know, more conditioned to do. And it just takes repetition over and over again, and it's a very slow process. But it is a foolproof process. Okay, 39. Even if it were the nature of the childish to harm, to cause harm to other beings... It would still be incorrect to be angry with them, for this would be like begrudging fire for having the nature to burn. So that's what you alluded to, uh, Venerable Seppel, the analogy. Um, So when there is anger, there is going to be harm. So that's another thing to accept. So our minds are interesting, you know. So sometimes it's... um, Sometimes my my self-centered mind does uh, I'm angry with somebody or frustrated with something so I'm going to tell them what the right thing is. I'm going to help them, you know. <laughs> yeah. And of course do they listen? Of course not. <laughs> does it help? Of course not. So again, you know, to get familiar with how the mind responds to anger. And the key here is to come back to fortitude, to patience. I am not going to step into doing anything out there until I work with this in here. Like Venerable children said, sentient beings, including myself, have afflictions. Why am I expecting anything else? My unrealistic expectations are my responsibility. That's a mouthful right there. So we make the determination to not get angry, and then we practice it. And then we work through, well, I got angry again. So we don't work through it by giving up, by hating ourselves, by um, discouragement. We just go deeper and see, okay, here's what I did. Where did I get off track? Where was the moment when my mind turned? Okay, now what if I thought this instead of that? What would be the outcome then? Okay, let me practice that on the cushion. That's in my imagination. That's what I am playing out in my imagination doing with the other person right now. That is what's going to help transform uh, our behavior. And of course, you know, we may need to act if somebody is treating us badly for whatever reason. But we don't need to be mad while acting. That's the key. That's what fortitude gives us. So we need to start working on making sure that our motivation is not anger. And if our motivation is anger, then we have some work to do before we make any other action with the person, and that protects ourselves, that protects the other. Then verse forty
3: I think what it's helpful because usually when uh, we think about not getting angry, it's very easy to get the idea of not being even disturbed about something. Mm. And I think, uh, at least for me, it's very helpful. Um, for example, I can the mind can be disturbed, or you can be there's some kind of feeling of annoyed or something, you know. But this is very different from being angry. I don't know if I have explained well.
0: Yeah, annoyance is little anger, but yeah. yeah, little, yeah,
3: yeah. Well. Mm. For me there's a difference of being anger or being seeing something I mean at the moment. Mm. And uh it, it's it's a sort of anger. Yeah. But there's a difference from yes. being anger or just at the moment you know, oh but very quickly see, okay, there's this rejection to that and yeah. yeah I thought yeah. it would be of
0: help. Yeah. So maybe what you're saying is that if you start working with the little angers, the little ones, irritation, annoyance, then we are transforming. It's easier to transform those and then less chance to get into full-blown, full, big anger. Is that
3: no, it's not what I'm saying, but oh. this is also helpful.
0: Okay. I mean, <laughs>
3: no. <laughs> oh, Thank you all. for not getting
0: uh, angry with me for not understanding. Uh, what you're uh, no, saying. no, it's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> mm. Well, we've lost, used all our time already, my gosh. Um, so we'll stop. There, and maybe Venerable Sompton can start at 40 for next time. Thank you. Okay, so lots to think about um, with fortitude. It is our friend. And so let's just uh, think a minute about maybe what we want to take away and practice with all of these Excellent suggestions of Shantideva. And that's the thing, you know, all of these verses are different ways to work with the mind. Not all of these are going to work with everybody's mind, because we're all so different. So you don't have to try to, you know, push yourself into using each one of them, especially if they don't all work. You practice and see what does work, and then you start getting this tool chest of these remedies that work for you and your mind. And so we do it that way. Then let's dedicate the merit.